Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. Today we are talking to Destiny of the New Wave Feminists. I'm going to read their mission statement so you really have a clear picture of what we're going to get into. The NWF mission statement is, we exist to advocate for the dignity of the vulnerable, amplify consistent life message, and agitate the status quo. As a pro-life feminist organization, we believe every human being should live a life free from violence, from the womb to the tomb. Unfortunately, some in the quote pro-life movement only focus on the unborn child, while others in the, quote, feminist movement only focus on the mother. We live at the epicenter that recognizes the full humanity of both 100% at all times. We're here to shake shit up and rebuild a culture that embodies legitimate justice for all. Hi, Destiny. Hi. <laughs> I feel like we're going to have so much in common, even though I identify as a pro-choice Christian and you identify as pro-life. Do you identify as a feminist as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're pro life feminist, um, but yeah, I, that's that's not unusual actually. Most of the people in my circle are pro choice, and I think that's kind of the narrative that we have bought into that we're we're polar opposites and we disagree. But if you're pro choice, one of those choices is life, and so there's actually a lot of common ground we can build on and ways we can work together to support women who are choosing life. Praise the Lord. This is what I've been saying again and again and again. I keep putting out videos, basically extending the invitation to quote pro-lifers and being like, come on, we're on the same team here. If I want to prevent abortion and you do as well, then there, there has to be common ground that we can find ourselves on. So is there any sort of religious lean to the belief system that you guys share or is this Yeah, it's completely secular. Um, I personally was raised Protestant, but I became agnostic a few years ago. So this has never been a religious issue for me. It's it's a human rights issue and one that I base completely in science. Um, Ironically, the closest anyone's ever gotten to making me pro-choice or even see see that side of things has been a religious argument. And then using the Bible and a lot of Old Testament passages to say, you know, well, God didn't necessarily believe in the humanity of the unborn child being equal to, to born human beings. And I remember at the time I was Protestant and I said, um, 
I guess that makes me the world's like shittiest Christian then, because I, I, me and Jesus are going to disagree on this one. Like if that's what it comes down to, but yeah, I, I would say our group is, we have a lot of Catholic following, um, but we also have atheists. We have a couple Satanists, believe it or not, that tweet at us from time to time that are pro-life Satanists. So uh -huh. very, uh, very wide range of, of people. I love you even just mentioning that because I think we all have identifiers that we believe one quote side or the other to be. I've also read statistics that show that the vast majority of us actually fall somewhere in the middle. No one is completely pro-life. No one is completely pro-choice when given certain basically things to think about and consider in the argument. It's very nuanced, very complicated. So... I, I will say too, just before we start, that Jesus never talks about abortion. So it's not exactly accurate to say that you guys would be in dissonance because, yeah, it's just not brought up. But I do know that the passages that you're talking about in the Old Testament were basically, it's about the law, that if someone were to be violent against a woman who is pregnant and her fetus died, that that would be a lesser crime than if the right. woman herself died. Exactly. So it was really about legality and, and the law. But as far as the way it is spiritually, the only thing I've seen in the Bible is that God does reference again and again, or the text does, that life begins at first breath, that God breathed into Adam and that's how he became alive. So some people do argue, okay, well, that means that pro-choice is okay. But anyway, let's dive in because uh, again, I think we're going to have so many similarities and I would love to express why I stand where I'm standing. And I'd love to hear why you stand where you're standing. So what's the most maybe broad overview we could begin with, and then we can start dissecting it from there. Yeah, well, I would say, you know, um, so my group in particular, we subscribe to the consistent life ethic, which is alluded to in our mission statement. And it's just that belief that human beings should be free from violence for the duration of their lifetime. So we're anti-war, anti-death penalty, anti-torture. Um, we extend it into the womb when human beings are at their weakest and most vulnerable by being anti-abortion. But we actually don't focus a ton on the laws, which does separate us, I would say, quite a bit from the average pro-life group that's focused on overturning Roe and the legality. Um, because at the end of the day, I know that, so I, I was a teen mom myself, I got pregnant at 16. And the fear and the panic that you have when you have an unplanned pregnancy, like I knew I wasn't going to choose abortion, but I definitely wanted to rip that part of my body off and run away from it. Mm -hmm. And it's terrifying. And it wasn't like, oh, I wonder what my senator thinks of this. It was like... <laughs> What, what, do, what do I think of this? And is this, is this a human being? And do I have the support system necessary to actually be able to choose life? Um, and thankfully, because of my own experience, I knew that I would. My mom got pregnant with me at 19 years old while she was uh, away at college. And it you know, she kind of came from the perfect little family. And so it was really difficult for her to come home and tell her parents that she was pregnant. And they're ordained Christian ministers, by the way. So um, that was, yeah, that was the whole thing. But <laughs> they supported her. And I think so in my mind, I always knew that I could have easily been aborted. It could have been viewed as the, like the responsible choice for her to make to finish her education. 
but it also is what makes me a feminist because it really pissed me off that she couldn't stay and finish her degree. And like our life would have been wildly different if she would have had those accommodations, but they really weren't there. And so that's where when feminists are like, well, abortion is a solution. Like, no, how about we smash the actual patriarchy and make a society that's not built for the male normative, you know, body. And one where my mom could have finished her degree and she didn't have to spend the next 10 years doing it, have a couple failed relationships. We experienced poverty and abuse and all these things that people give as reasons why I should have been aborted. So it's a very personal issue to me. But again, because I know the fear component, I don't, I don't focus on the legality. I focus more on like the support systems that made it possible for me to be here and for now my child to be here who he's 19 years old now, which totally blows my mind. Um, But without that support, I'm sure, you know, plenty of women who choose abortion because they don't have it. And that's really real. And there's not a lot of focus, um, on that side of things, you know? Yeah. So many things come to mind when you're saying that. And one is this argument of like, well, people will have abortions anyway. So legality doesn't matter. And I think when I kind of say that people perceive that to be some dismissive comment, like, oh, well, if people are going to do it anyway, just let them. I'm not saying that dismissively at all. I'm saying that we really need to consider that making the choice for life, quote unquote, means that you are sitting there weighing out the factors that are coming and pressing up against you. And us as a society, I believe it is so crucially important that we make it as easy as possible for a woman to say yes. And I think so many pro-lifers And I say that as a general statement because you're pro-life and you obviously don't see it the same way, but I think the cliched pro-lifer that I see in my imagination is one who says abortion is done out of, quote, convenience. Ben Shapiro says this all the time, and I find that so demeaning and degrading because I'm like, can you define convenience? Do you think poverty is just a convenience issue? Do you think abuse is a convenience issue? Do you think the fact that so many black women die in childbirth is a convenience issue? No, those are not conveniences or inconveniences. This is about when a woman is pregnant under not the most ideal situation that immediately says yes to life, that she is, you know, facing all these things that are stacked up against her. I got pregnant unexpectedly. I'm in my 30s, so I definitely felt like I had less excuse to make excuses basically, but I also had a partner that honored and respected me. I don't know if we'd, I didn't know if we'd stay together at the time, but I knew he wouldn't bail, you know, and those are certain things that I had to consider. Also, my hospital bill was supposed to be between $6,000 and $120,000. So again, when these pro-lifers are voting for Trump, who is like, trying to take away the Affordable Care Act and we have no solutions to our medical care. It's like, how pro-life can you be if immediately after having a baby, I'm in up to $120,000 in debt? How do we take away these obstacles? Because again, Ben Shapiro, those are not freaking inconveniences. They are real life factors that make it hard for a woman to say yes. Yeah, they're very real life factors. And I think that's why when we just focus on the legality, we're talking about the supply, right? We're going to, we want to cut off supply. That's what most pro-lifers are focused on. What we're saying is let's address the demand. Why is it that there is the demand there in the first place? Because yeah, I am an uninsured woman from Texas. Um, I, I know how difficult that is. And thankfully we've got good laws when it comes to women below a certain income level where they are able to get Medicaid access in, in most states. But at the same time, when you were talking about a woman who 
you know, works an hourly job. You brought up like the infant and maternal mortality rate among women of color, which is a really, really big deal, right? They're working an hourly job and them even being able, if they don't have lack of transportation in some communities to get to a doctor's office and they're having to take off hours that they need those hours to put food on the table to, you know, keep their other children alive and cared for uh, in order to go to an OB. And so a lot of times they'll skip these appointments and they won't go, they won't have this relationship or rapport with their doctor. And then when they find themselves not feeling right because they're hemorrhaging or some other major thing is happening, if they don't have that relationship set up, a lot of times the doctors don't believe them. And we are seeing a four to one difference in women of color dying. Mm -hmm. And so my argument to that though, and all these things, because I agree, these are not just convenience issues. These are major issues. You mentioned, you know, domestic abuse, rape, things like that. Like these are very, very real. And as a feminist, I guess I would argue like, how does abortion solve those? right? Like it, it kind of takes away the, the symptom of it, but what are we actually doing to get to the root issue and solve this problem? Are we talking about racial biases in the medical community and what's going on with women of color? Like, are we addressing domestic abuse? Are we addressing the lack of uh, medical care for women and, and the uninsured population in our country, right? Like, and I think these are the places where pro-life and pro-choice feminists can definitely come together because I don't see abortion as a solution. It's not making it better. It's just kind of adding another wound to a wound that's already there. And so again, I think like that's where we have to really smash the patriarchy and say, this world is not built for women and our children. It just wasn't. It was built for the male normative body and that's it. I agree completely. I think another thing that frustrates me is in the wake of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, I've seen a lot of Christians and evangelicals not celebrate her death, but celebrate the fact that they that we get to put in someone that might overturn Roe versus Wade. And obviously we're looking at this, you know, new justice that they're trying to put in and she's supposed to be the savior of abortion, I think in a lot of evangelicals' minds. But when you look at Ruth and her legacy, she, like any person, was imperfect. But some of the major things that she did which you addressed at the top of this conversation, were to implement policies that made us more valuable in this society and therefore gave us so much more ability to make choices on our own and also be independent in ways that we hadn't been in the past. For example, Ruth helped women be able to get credit cards in our name. Like my grandmother was being very abused by her husband. She lost her virginity to date rape. She got pregnant at 15. Like she had no sex education, all of these factors. She ended up having three children, but raising them in a really abusive situation. And when she finally wanted to get out and become independent, she couldn't get a house in her name. She couldn't get a credit card in her name because she didn't have credit. Again, she couldn't get an apartment. So those are the kind of things that that Ruth did and that feminism does at the root of feminism, which is really this advocate movement for women well, being, she, like you she said, even equal. fought against forced abortion in the military, right? Like, I think people want to just look at her as one of the deciding factors of Roe, but they don't look at the full scope of even what her own personal example was, right? She had a 14-month-old baby as she was going to Harvard, and she said that that's what helped her remain sane at the end of every day was she would work very diligently when she was in school, but then she would come home, and like, that was her time with her daughter, and that was it. And so I think 
all people are so much more nuanced than we give them credit for, right? And we might not agree with everything, but at the end of the day, for the pro-life movement to dehumanize this woman, I think is completely antithetical to what we believe in. Like we are in the humanizing business. And so just like we want to humanize the unborn child in the womb, we should humanize people like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who did actually do quite quite a few things that, as you said, made it uh, possible for women to be in a position where they can choose life as well. And that's that's not a small thing. What about uh, forced abortion in the military? I'm not aware of that. So I believe it was um, at the time, if you became pregnant, and here's the thing, it still kind of, I think, happens a little bit. We have been contacted by women in the military who, when you are deployed, you are not supposed to be sexually active in any way um, because you're on the job, you're working. And so if you become pregnant, you can get dishonorable discharge. But um, somebody had sent me an article about- and does the guy get a dishonorable discharge or no? <laughs> Wow. So anyway, I mean, continue. <laughs> oh no. Well, and what we're seeing is the women basically going off base and trying to get an abortion so that nobody finds out. And so even if it's a woman who normally would not have an abortion, she does not want to have anything that falls under, and it's kind of complicated, but there's multiple types of, like there's medical discharge and things like that, but they're still kind of viewed as dishonorable because people will then ask why, why was it that, uh, that you were discharged? And so it gets into a lot of like the personal details of that. One of our board members is actually a Marine. And so we've had a lot of fascinating conversations about this, that again, mm -hmm. how do we create that life culture? But Ruth Bader Ginsburg addressed that, um, because there was a woman who, who the military was trained for to have an abortion. There was, and it, fact check me on that because I skimmed through the article really quickly, but I remember <laughs> thinking like, this is being totally ignored by most of the mainstream pro-life movement. But then there was also um, the man who lost his wife to childbirth, right? And then ended up saying like, he couldn't get any type of social services because he was a male and not a female. And so even that level of equity is something that again, would lead to life culture and making sure that um, we are supporting life, not just inside the womb, but the lives of children and families. And so I think when we just, you know, put her as this archetype that she just like ate fetuses for breakfast, or I don't know what people are thinking, but that right. is like, when you read some of these posts from, from people who are kind of on my side of things, that's what it looks like. And to me, it's just completely, um, hypocritical because again like we need to be humanizing human beings that's what we should do and I don't know if you follow Nadia Boltz Weber at all I, I love her yeah she's, I think she's fascinating and mm -hmm. she talks about the saint-centered dichotomy right that we look at people and we say like well they're they're 80% saint but 20% center and so we kind of decide how good or bad people are based on that. And she said, but when we get to the point where we realize we're hundred percent saying hundred percent center, we're capable of both at all times. Like it really changes the way that we view other people. And I know for me, um, I try to humanize everybody I come in contact with, you know, the post-abortive woman who I'm at a protest or a march or a rally, and she is screaming in my face that she loved her abortion, that it was the best thing that ever happened to her. Like, that analogy really helped me because I don't get angry at that woman. If anything, I feel hurt for her. I feel like for you to have that level of emotion, there's some unresolved kind of trauma probably there. And I don't know who wasn't there for you, but I want to, I want to hear about it because I want to make sure that the next woman like you, like we are there for her and we do meet those needs so that she doesn't find herself dealing with the same kind of wound later on in life because I, I have many post-abortive friends and a lot of them on the surface will say my abortion was, it was the right decision. I'm glad that I made it. I would do it again if I had to do it over. Um, but there's nuance in it. They still know exactly how old that child would be. They still wonder about it in the same way. You know, you wonder what if I went to this college instead of that college or took this job instead of that job where I met my partner for life, right? Like there's these little things where we look back on and, 
and the what ifs are really big. And I think when it comes to a child that was either born or terminated, like those what ifs are big. And we don't give women in this current climate where it's like pro-choice, pro-life, all against each other, we don't give them the space and the oxygen to be able to have a nuanced conversation and say, you know, maybe it was the right decision for me, but do I still have some complicated feelings about it? And are there still some things that I wish I would have had that would have supported me and, and maybe I would have made another decision. And I think because pro-life, the pro-life community as a whole, that's kind of more on the extreme, they cannot even have conversations with that woman. They want to fight with her. We're not going to unlock what it is that we could have done better so that she could have chosen life and that women in the future will choose life. Because um, again, we're always just talking about the legality, the cutting off supply, but we're not addressing demand. And we've We've got to get into that. We've got to figure out how to make a life culture for, for women and their children. So beautifully said. And while you're speaking, my blood is just boiling because ironically, so many people don't understand that preventing abortion is one of the biggest passions of my entire life. It's one of the largest reasons that I, I speak out and I advocate for sex education and all of these other things because... I hate abortion that much. And a part of it is because I've seen it happen to people and I understand it. I feel very profoundly and deeply. And this is specifically why I have taken a stance. I don't know if I'll change this or not, where I am not expressing my mora morality on abortion. I haven't said my moral stance because to me, I feel like if I say it's wrong, then I'll alienate a bunch of people that don't think it is. To me, it just gets into the weeds of something that is really irrelevant because at the end of the day, morality and the way you feel about it doesn't prevent abortion. That again is like fruit on a tree. You're not getting to the root of the issue. So proof of that is that Guttmacher Institute did a study where over 70% of abortion clients were identified as Christian and some sects of that. So that to me is really the proof that we need to see that morality isn't enough to stop you from doing it. And then we are like, okay, so what are the factors? What brought you to that clinic? And again, when I see, I had an argument, not an argument, I had a conversation the other day with a pro-lifer that was actually really nice. And we both settled our souls and were calm, which is great. And everyone, please do that. It's wonderful. But she listed out all of the things that Pre Pence and Trump have done to, quote, prevent abortion. But like you said, all they have done is remove access. And I was telling her, and I would love for you to expand on this if you see it as broader, but from my perspective, there's only, there's three major, major factors that prevent unwanted pregnancy, which should be our goal, because that is what prevents abortion. So I'd love to know if you see anything beyond these factors, because for me, the morality of abortion isn't going to solve it. It's going to be, are we advocating for comprehensive sex ed, which Trump and Pence have removed and allocated into abstinence-only education, which causes more pregnancy? Are we advocating for birth control and contraception, which again, Trump and Pence said, if it's against your morality to provide birth control for your employees, you don't have to. And then the third thing is just advocating for crazy, wild, quote, socialist ideas like medical care for all, which I think, especially from a Christian stance, is simply the most humane thing we could do as a society. Are there other factors that you see? Because to me, again, 
we talk about morality, we're just yelling at each other all day. Let's talk about what is actually going to solve this problem. Yeah, like true practical support and resources. And we actually have um, branded New Wave Feminist condoms with like our logo on them. And it makes some people very irate, but our whole thing is it prevented unplanned pregnancy is a prevented potential abortion. Like, why are we not focused more on that? And I'm a huge advocate for um, comprehensive sex ed, like truly comprehensive sex ed. I will say, I feel like a lot of times the pro-choice and pro-life side talk past each other when it comes to that, because when they hear sex ed, they think Planned Parenthood. And I have studied the Planned Parenthood courses and there's some good stuff in there, but it's also to me, they do have a vested interest in abortion, unfortunately. And so it would be like Marlboro coming into your kid's school to talk about lung health. I would rather other um, third party organizations actually address uh, sex ed because I know, so I have four kids, my oldest is 19, my youngest is eight. So I've got boys on each end and two girls in the middle and the two girls are 12 and 14. Um, we all have our periods synced up right now, which like I <laughs> believed in evolution until this happened. And then I'm like, no, because there's no way that we would have survived this long with like <laughs> menstruating what like, I need my own red tent somewhere. Like I cannot, it's really, it's a challenge anyway. But so with them, I mean, they're in the world of social media and I don't let them have phones yet because I'm evidently a monster, but you know, they have their friends, TikTok and all these things. And they know so much more about sex than even I did growing up on Cosmo and like sneaking, you know, Yahoo website, like we were back, you're probably around my age too. I'm 37. So it was like in the beginning when you could first get into chat rooms and try to like find out bad stuff, but we didn't have it like all right there. Yeah. Um, and, you're getting information from peers, you're getting incorrect information. And so I had actually, um, that's one of the things we're looking into is doing comprehensive sex ed because with, with my kids, they can't be sheltered at this point. They're going to get all this information. I need to make sure they're getting correct information. So unless you want to go move your family to a cave and talk about abstinence, like, and it's still probably not going to work. Like, I think that we have to make sure we're giving them more good information than bad information. So I had gone to a training um, with a local organization here in Dallas. And I remember the woman saying that they had talked to, they would talk to the group of kids, teens and um, kids first, and then they would talk to the parents in the next room. So they're in the room with the kids and they said, do you know how to tell if somebody has an STD? And this boy raised his hand. He's like, yeah, you, you put your finger in your ear, you get a little earwax and then you put it in the girl's vagina. And if it burns, she has an STD. And if it doesn't, then she's good. And they were like, no, that is completely inaccurate. And obviously like have the whole conversation. Oh with them. So then they go into the room with the parents and they're like, we want you to understand why this education is important because we have this little boy who just said this. And like, this is something that now half of his school probably believes because once you keep, you know, promoting this, like it becomes truth to, to young people who don't know better. And the woman said, all of a sudden this dad at the back of the room raises his hand and he goes, wait, that's, you can't tell that way. Stop like, it. No. Stop so I it. mean, like the fact that we have misinformation that's being passed down, right? We have to have the good information. And I will say from my own perspective, um, I had been running my feminist organization for 10 years and I was on a flight with a friend of mine who's very Catholic and it was like a 5 a.m. flight. And at like six o'clock, she goes, hey, what time is it? And I said, oh, I think it's like six. Why? And she goes, I need to go check my mucus. I'll be right back. And I was like, excuse me? Like, I don't think you're allowed to do that on a plane. What the hell are you talking about? And she goes, yeah, yeah, hold on. I'll explain it when I get back. So she comes and sits back down and she's trying to get pregnant. She had just gotten married and she and her husband um, were, were basically charting her cycle. And based on her mucus, she can tell if she's ovulating. She takes her temperature. She puts all this information in. And 
it blew my mind when she started telling me this because being raised Protestant, we just had like, you get on birth control when you become sexually active and you know, don't become sexually active till you're married. But if you do, like, this is where you get birth control, right? Like yeah. it was that type of discussion. I had no idea. And I was so kind of furious because you don't know what you don't know. But like, here I am running a feminist organization. And I didn't know that there were actually holistic ways for me to chart my period um, and understand when I'm ovulating in my fertility window. And thankfully, now we have apps like Clue and Natural Cycles where we're able to do this. But women are truly empowered when we understand our bodies. And there's nothing sexual about that. It's our just overall reproductive health. Why on earth is that not being taught in every school everywhere? And I am very pro birth control and access to birth control. And I want women to know how to do it. I want them to be able to get it for free, all that good stuff. But I also get kind of frustrated when I think about the fact that we, a woman with the average normal hormonal cycle is going to be fertile for four to six days out of a month. Do you know how many days out of a month a man is fertile? No, all of the days? Yeah, all, all the days. Yeah. Years, <laughs> well beyond I thought it was a trick question. Yes. <laughs> no. So it is kind of frustrating, right? When the responsibility is solely on the female, when, you know, creating a new life definitely involves two people. And so I think that men and women and young boys and girls need to understand fertility. And that in my mind is truly comprehensive sex ed. Give them all of the options, give them all of the accurate information. Like there's no reason for us to be squeamish about that. And, and I do think again, that's where pro-lifers and pro-choicers tend to talk past each other because if a pro-lifer, you know, who maybe has a more religious background, hears you say comprehensive sex ed, they're like, you're gonna teach my kids about masturbation and butt stuff. Like, I don't want them to know. Like, no dude, like it should be so much more than that about just our overall physical health and talking to you know natal males about testosterone and what's that's going to do to your hormones and your emotions and that's not your identity this is something biologically you're going through same with natal females and their estrogen like there are just so many discussions we could be having that we're not because I do think purity culture has really um I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on this, but like F just over, I'll, I'll edit it for your audience. No girl, please. It's done some major damage where we have purity culture and porn culture and a whole bunch of kids trying to figure out the difference between the two. And both of them are incredibly damaging. Yeah. I have to send you a shirt. I have RIP purity culture t-shirts with like a, a grave on it because I want it to die. It's a disaster. Um, I, I love everything you're saying. And What's coming to mind is the circles that I get in when I start expressing myself in the same way that you are. And one of those circles is like, but why can't we teach abstinence only? Why can't we tell people that that is the way to be? And I don't exactly know how to get around that because there, it just lacks logic so hard. And also statistically, it shows that it's just not effective. So to me, we can have an ideal in our head and we can definitely hold that for ourselves. But even as a parent, you have to acknowledge that your child comes into this world with autonomy and free will, and you can impose that. You can try, but you know it's going to be an uphill battle if you want to willfully keep information away from them. Also, when you look at it, abstinence-only education statistically only delays sexual activity by, I think, five or six months, whereas comprehensive overall, like really comprehensive that you're talking about, kids internalize all of that information, process it really well. Like We have to stop underestimating our young people and realize when they're given 
an onslaught of information to the point that sex isn't even salacious anymore. They don't have to look at porn to figure out what's going on. They have all the information. They delay sexual activity by an average of two years. And they also, you know, report to wearing condoms when that happens and being more, you know, just making wiser choices in that moment. So like there's a Christian woman, for example, named activist mommy that has me banging my head against a wall. First of all, I thought that was a satire account at first. I could not believe that that was real. I mean, first of all, she just looks so ragingly angry all the time. She's homeschooling however many children and she's teaching abstinence only and battling, actively battling against sex education in this country. So I'm just gonna put myself in that shoe and be like, well, no, I believe in abstinence and I don't think kids should be learning about that. Like, why should I let my child hear that? And, and why is that not the solution? Abstinence protects 100% of the time. <laughs> and yeah, let's totally ignore that sexual assault happens and date rape and things like that. But like, sure. So I mm. think, again, this is where we do have to trust kids. When they know better, they do better. When they are given the information and we're respecting them as these fledgling adults who want to understand their bodies and understand how it operates. Like I know for me, I mean, my family did the whole thing. I had a purity ring um, that I finally oh. had to take off because the swelling from my teen pregnancy had made it impossible for me to wear it anymore. So like, yeah, this was my life, dude. Like I, yeah. I but at the same time, again, I was hanging out with like the skater crowd and we'd go over to somebody's house to smoke pot in the afternoon and they'd have like porn on the television and stuff and so but then on Wednesday nights I'm going to youth group I actually got pregnant on a youth group ski trip uh which was its own whole thing so like I can look back at how purity culture really fucked <laughs> my head dude it really wow. did uh, let me ask you then so what were you experiencing in your own head like how does it feel to get these opposing messages you know, how does it feel to walk in the room where you see porn and you're smoking weed and then you're on the retreat praying about God and trying to internalize shame about sex? Like, how do you the, reckon the with the fact thing, that you're wearing a ring? <laughs> it's, it's totally, it's totally two sides of the same coin, right? That my value was my sexuality. Yes. So whether it was my purity or my ability to be this like Cosmo sex kitten, like that was still my value as a human being. They were both telling me lies. So mm. it wasn't just that destiny is a valuable person who has thoughts and ideas and everything else. It was, if you want to be loved and desired by, by this group, you have to be totally pure and a virgin. If you want to be loved and desired by this group, you have to be like the old ultimate porn star type, like shaved vagina at 14 years old, wearing thongs, things like that. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it is a complete mishmash of cultures. And even though I had been raised in a Christian household and warned against it, um, you know, by 13, my mom was going through her second divorce and I just totally rebelled against it. And I remember thinking like, she, she got pregnant with me. Then she rushed into a marriage when I was nine months old. That was just a really toxic situation. They got divorced by the time I was five. She gets married when I'm eight and is divorcing when I'm 13. And I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to save myself for one man. Like, well, you didn't. And, and like this anger, dude, my mom is the best human being in the world. <laughs> she tried so freaking hard to give me a nuclear family and make it work. So it was not her fault, but I was also an angsty teenager with like way too much eyeliner and shit. And so I was just like, <laughs> I was going to blame her. And I'm like, I'm not saving myself for one person. And I remember wanting, like actively wanting to get rid of my virginity because I was sick of the pressure that it had and held over me. And at the same time, when you mix that with 
the MTV spring break and Cosmo culture that I was growing up with in the nineties, it's like, I always talk to college kids about like the Cosmo culture and what it does to our brains, right? That you've got 20 pages of airbrushed women with these beauty standards. Nobody looks like that. They don't even look like that. It's totally photoshopped. Then you've got 20 pages of shit you can buy in an attempt to look like that. That's constantly reiterating this message. Like your skin's not clear enough. Your hair's not shiny enough. Your teeth aren't wide enough. Depending on, you know, the decade, like your butt's either not big enough or it's too big, right? Like it's just, just, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. And then finally, you've got about 20 pages of sex tips and tricks because we know you're not enough, but this is a way you can still get someone to love and desire you. And this is, her, <laughs> this is your pussy power feminism, right? And so mm -hmm. then when women fall into that and we try to prove ourselves through that version of feminism, um, of course, a lot of times you're going to end up pregnant because we also know that condoms don't feel that good. And if you're trying to be the ultimate sex kit, and why are you going to be such a bitch and make them wear a condom? And you get pregnant and then you're supposed to believe you're strong enough to have a child on your own? Or have you just been told for the last however many years that you're not enough? So abortion becomes the easy solution because God forbid you put a child through having you as a mother. Like we tear women down in the society so much. And then we shit on them even when they're at their lowest level and torn down from what we've done to them. And I think that that, that is why new wave feminists exist because like we want to be part of building them up so that they can actually face an unplanned pregnancy or face this culture that is trying to either tell them that they are worthless because they're a whore or worthless because they're a virgin right like whatever yeah. it is they can't win <laughs> beautiful yes to all, all of my that. bubble diarrhea thoughts against like patriarchy and purity culture and all of it no i love that i wish i could animate it or something it's great <laughs> i mean truly and I do want to ask you, you said that Planned Parenthood has a vested interest um, in abortion. So I've, I've done very cursory research. I would, as of right now, say that I am an advocate of Planned Parenthood because for me, you could go to clinics, health clinics in LA, but a lot of them are dingy, really, really long waits. I don't know that I'm getting the best care because I'm currently uninsured because the moment I had a baby, I lost my health insurance because of the, you know, tax bracket I was in or whatever. And I couldn't even go to the appointment to check up on my body a month after a baby came out of me. That's so it's disgusting. It's truly vile. And I, I'd say the only reason I'm grateful that I had that experience is because I know what it's like yeah, to it makes have- Yeah, empathetic to other women. I've absolutely. said the same thing. And it's the DMV for your vagina, the health centers you're talking about right now. So on the pro-life side, what I hear them say is like, we don't need Planned Parenthood because we have these federally qualified health centers. Right. Well, the problem is, first of all, they are federally qualified. So it's first come, first serve. So again, the mom who's working an hourly job who needs every single $8 hour she can get, like that's not feasible for her to take a full day to go get a pap smear. Um, and when you look into even like, Medicaid offices, WIC offices, a lot of it, it's the same type of thing. God forbid you move at any point and your address changes. You're going to have to go back every month even to be able to access this. Like we do not have these government systems set up in place um, that take care of women well. And no. so when we talk about Planned Parenthood, I, I totally agree. I, I will never go to a Planned Parenthood. I think, you know, in the same way I wouldn't go to a coffee shop that, you know, only 3% of their beans are, you know, harvested through child labor. Like, that's too much for me. Like, I, ethically, I can't do it. But I also 
really resent the fact that that's my only true choice. There's not something comparable. And so I, my argument to the pro-life crowd is the money that you are investing in campaigns, the millions of dollars. Yes, these billboards. Like, like, let's go ahead and like put that money into actually like creating an alternative to Planned Parenthood that offers everything sans abortion. And we've got a couple, there's one um, in Austin and I think they've got two other branches called The Source. And they're basically, um, Planned Parenthood without abortion. They offer birth control. They offer everything. So of course, a lot of the Catholic and Christian community is like, oh, this is blasphemy. It's totally unacceptable. I think it's super badass. That has to be the future of what we're doing. Um, there's even like out in LA, like Claris Health Center, like there's places that are offering actual like exams and, and um, STD screenings and things like that. We're seeing the pregnancy center movement realize that offering diapers and wipes is not how we create a life culture. Like yep. here's, here's what gets me. I used to volunteer um, outside of an abortion clinic doing sidewalk counseling. And I was not one of the psychos with the sign who like called women whores or anything like that. Like if anything, it was, I want them to know that they have other options because I was able to have other options. And I think that's really empowering. And so I would stand out there. And what I found really interesting was during abortion hours. So when women were going in to get abortions, you have this whole team of volunteers out there. Um, and there, there weren't always a lot. They didn't have enough to cover a lot of the hours. We were stretched really thin a lot of times. And so after the abortion hours, when all the women had gone in for their appointments and you couldn't stop any of them at this point, you know, or, or dissuade any of them, um, they would all leave. And I realized I stayed after a few different days for a couple hours and I would see the women coming out after the abortion and the tear stained cheeks. This was a late term clinic. So a lot of them were heavily sedated and completely out of it. And they just looked broken. And I would give them pamphlets on aftercare healing. And I remember thinking like, if I were in this woman's shoes and I had gone in and I saw all these people who said that they cared about me and were offering me choices when I was with child, but when I came out, nobody was there. Yeah. I wouldn't believe that they actually cared about me. They clearly only cared about the unborn child. And that's why as a pro-life feminist, I think the same goes for our health care. It can't just be, we're going to offer you Medicaid and government assistance when you are with child, but like, what about the woman who's uninsured and needs a pap smear, you know, just a basic cervical exam, a mammogram, things like that. Like, we have to care about women as much as we care about the unborn child. And unfortunately, right now, Planned Parenthood is the only, you know, large franchise that is doing that. Um, and unfortunately, I can't, you know, I think that's the irony is that I want choice in this case. Like, I want there to be other options for women besides just Planned Parenthood. I think the pro-life movement could put some of that money that's going to Donald Trump into creating an actual sustainable model for that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you saying that too, because I come up against that all the time. Like there's plenty of free clinics and I'm like, yeah, have you ever been to one? It's a nightmare. Yeah. Um, I just went to Planned Parenthood last week for, um, what's it called? A UTI. I was in and out in like 20 minutes. It was great. <laughs> so it's hard. Um, okay. So I want to talk about the humane slash or inhumane nature of quote, forcing a woman to carry to term. Because if you say you're pro-life, is that implication that you are just advocating for legislation and, and factors that help bring life forth? Or do you mean that you want to see it become illegal? Yeah, so again, at the end of the day, I feel like the legality part, um, it's not going to make the impact everyone is is hoping for, right? And I've told a lot of my my friends in the Christian community that so many of them compromised 
their very soul to vote for Donald Trump because of the Supreme Court justices, right? Like that's the 30 pieces of silver right there. And so the fact that I grew up on James Dobson and, you know, all like the moral majority type teaching about purity and everything else. And then these are the very same people who are like, we got to like this pussy grabber because abortion, like they're using abortion as, um, I mean, that is the the golden calf to them in so many ways. And they know they're compromising their integrity and everything by supporting this man, but yet they are so dead set on it. And then because they're they're doing it the the unethical way, I think they're gonna get unethical results. I, I don't think the ends justify the means. And so again, rather than having a life culture and taking the, the knowledge we know from women who choose abortion, Gutmacher, I think it was probably that same study, it was over 60 something percent said that they choose abortion because of financial constraints. Yes. So if we know that, why aren't we putting the time and energy into actually addressing that? Like, are those lives that are being lost not just as important as the ones you would say when you just make it you know, illegal? And again, I don't think, I don't think that that's the reality of what would happen. Roe, all, all overturning Roe does is it sends it back to the states. So you're going to have certain states that are going to be super extreme pro-abortion, others that might eliminate it. But at the same time, like we saw the blue wave come through last time. I think in those states, you would see a whole lot of lobbying to get um, more pro-choice legislators in. And if anything, we might have states that now pretty much have eradicated abortion suddenly having abortion. So I, I think this is this toxic pill everybody's been ta has taken. And I don't think it's really going to result in what we want. And at the end of the day, we also have new wave feminist organizations in Mexico, Chile, Mexico City, Chile, and Buenos Aires. And in all three of those places, abortion is illegal. And it doesn't change jack shit about the work that we're doing. We are still there just to help the desperation that women feel so that they know that they can truly choose life. Because again, that desperation, it's like the, what is it, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park where he's like, life will always find a way. That's how I feel about abortion. Abortion will always find a way. That level of desperation will always find a way. I am in pro-choice Facebook groups where women will post in there frequently like, hey, what is that herb that I take that can cause me to miscarry? Again, that, that desperation is still there. And so when I look at that and I look at our groups down in Buenos Aires where it's legal, but women are still accessing abortion, they still know where to go. Even pre-73 in our country, women knew where to go. This whole myth that women were like, you know, dying in the streets and stuff like that wasn't totally accurate. There were definitely people who didn't want to spend money um, to get certain abortions, but they had like women of the night who would advertise in publications, like people knew where to access abortion. So the idea that the legality is going to change anything, I just, I feel like personally, what I think we're going to see is a ton of um, miscarriages. Like this, this rate of miscarriage is going to go up really high because we are still going to have a medical community and doctors who are very sympathetic to women needing access to abortion. So they're still going to be performing DNCs. Um, and people are going to look the other way. Like I, our culture is not at a place where we understand the human dignity of the preborn child. Like again, when I was in front of those abortion clinics, like I would see cases of boyfriends like and and fathers dragging the girls in like by their elbows this was a forced abortion it was obvious oh that God. women did not find them and we would call the cops dude and the cops would not come out people stay away from this issue so this idea that it would even be enforceable i think it what it would be more in my in my mind more closely related to would be like jaywalking like sure every once in a while somebody gets popped for jaywalking but for the most part people don't care. They look the other way. Like it's not truly enforceable. And 
that is that is my fear with Roe being overturned. If we don't have this shift in cultural consciousness, we don't have a society that actually supports women, we haven't humanized the unborn child well enough, then the legality part's not gonna do enough. And so that's why at New Wave Feminist we say, like our goal is not to make abortion illegal, it's to make it unnecessary and unthinkable. Like we want a culture where it's just common sense. Like you don't rape, you don't murder, you, you don't choose abortion because women are so well loved and the needs are so well met and she is not going to have to sacrifice her life and, and her livelihood in order to fit into a world that doesn't accommodate her or her child, you know, like that has to be the goal. That's the only way this is going to work. And I think it's too lofty. I think a really low bar is the legality of abortion. I think what we're talking about is so huge. People can't even fathom it, even in the Christian community. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't agree more. And to that point, I remember I got so brokenhearted because I was in Berlin with a friend and they have acts like free healthcare for all. They have maternity and paternity leave after you have a child they have free schooling free college and i was at a dinner table this girl very casually was like oh i just accidentally got pregnant and you know so we're having a baby and i was like and i found out all of that information because i was like it's not a big deal for you and she was like well i mean and her argument was like why would i say no like there's too many things in place to help me why say no and and it truly it broke my heart in two because I was like, God, I've never, ever in my life heard an American woman say that because we simply do not have the same reality. I couldn't just shrug and be like, oops, got pregnant. Now I'm going to have it because it's no big deal. I had to overcome an insurmountable amount of bills, an insurmountable amount of obstacles to say yes. And I could only do that because I have 30 plus years of strength underneath me and I do have a good support system. And I don't want to generalize or make assumptions, but when you talk about jaywalking, for example, I think that might be an app parallel because you're saying every once in a while someone gets popped for jaywalking, but not really. You know who I see gets popped for jaywalking is people of color. Kind of already stop and frisk trying to go after. Yeah. Exactly. So oh, I, I fear that if abortion was illegal there's no white girls in their glass palaces that are going to be thrown in prison for doing it. It's again, going to fall on the people in the lowest income, the people that are already ostracized from society. And I know it's going to fall on them. And that really scares me. Well, and so I would argue that like our group believes in restorative justice. So even if it were to come to that, it's not a matter of prosecuting the, the women who are receiving abortions, right? It's more the doctors who are participating in it. And I think that there are quite a few pro-lifers who that's what they're looking at it as. It's not the individual women, because again, how would you unless you are hunting down every woman who has had a miscarriage. There was a bill that was proposed here in Texas that was absolutely inhumane um, that said women should be charged with murder for having an abortion. Like, again, abortion is legal here in Texas, so, like, it was an insane um, argument to be made. But they had a ton of people out to speak for it, uh, this group that they, they call themselves abolitionists, right? And so, like, they're just the hardcore radicals of the pro-life movement. And it would have made women eligible for the death penalty. And so I wrote an article for the Dallas Morning News saying, like, I cannot believe I have to say this, but killing women for having abortions is not pro-life. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, it's just, there's so much patriarchy I see on both sides. It's horrifying. So when we look at restorative justice, it would be more um, the doctors who full well know what they're doing. They're benefiting from it, right? When you look at the woman, um, there's a great quote by Frederica Matthews Green that I think sums this up so well. And she says, no woman wants an abortion as she wants a snow cone or a Porsche. She wants an abortion as an animal with its leg caught in a trap wants to gnaw itself free. 
So women are often the second victims of this kind of like abortion culture because there is some hostility ever since 1973 when a woman becomes pregnant in the work place or at school and has a scholarship and everything else, there is this hostility that kind of comes down from the people in authority like, well, you had a choice and you're choosing this child. So now it's kind of on you to figure it out. And that's where we have to realize that women are the second victims. And when it comes to um, minorities, especially, and low-income uh, individuals of, of all races, I would argue that there is definitely a target on them. And this is where I get a little bit conspiracy theory-ish, like, but we're seeing it happen majorly. Um, I don't think Republicans or Democrats actually want to get rid of abortion because I think for them it is a population control issue and it's something they run on. Like, could you imagine tomorrow if abortion was no longer an issue, we solved it, we figured it out not needed anymore. Could you imagine how many people would stop voting Republican? They'd move to the next issue, which for them is probably immigration or something. And so they would they would go blue. And I think a lot of Republicans offer lip service. I think Trump's actually kind of fucking it up for a lot of them because he was a lifelong Democrat and he's just playing this game and trying to be liked by people. But I think there are far too many Republicans who have benefited from abortion access because it is much easier for the government to um, you know, give money to and help support organizations like Planned Parenthood uh, so that they are able to offer a $500 abortion to a woman, then potentially have an unplanned pregnancy. By definition, it's not planned for. So you have a child and a woman who could need potentially 18 years of government aid. It's a whole lot cheaper to kill the poor in the womb than, you know, in the streets or actually have to support them or do any of these other things. And so I... I would honestly be shocked, and I know you're on the other side of this, so you're like, oh, Rose going down tomorrow and everybody's afraid of it. I would be shocked if it truly does, because I think this nation has, has such a vested interest in abortion access because of low income and often minority communities. Where do we see the largest abortion clinics? Like, that's where they're at. There's a target on low income people. You don't see them up in the nice neighborhoods. You just, you don't. And so in that same vein, I would argue that minority people are the ones who suffer under both sides of it. Yeah, I, I agree with you in that I feel we run off the fumes of fear too often. I'm, you know, I'm, I love my friend. She called me weeping when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and was like, no, it's all going to, and I was like, I don't think the entire axis of the axis of the world was spinning on whether or not this one woman that's already elderly was going to die or live. Like we, we have to be more hopeful than that. First of all, a whole government and system that runs on one woman staying alive like forever um that's a government and a system that has way too much power right like and i think we can argue like they have way too much power and it changes every four to eight years okay my conclusion is we as communities have to be we as a network of women have to come together and support one another and demand better from these institutions and this hierarchy that's keeping us down but at the end of the day sometimes it's as simple as just having a neighbor across the street who can, you know, drive you to a doctor's appointment, can make sure that you're getting health care, can watch your kids while you're sick, can bring you a meal. Like a lot of it is just really practical ways. And I tell the college kids I speak to all the time this, that like, if we spent as much time actively helping other women in our community and people in our community who are marginalized and vulnerable, like in whatever capacity that is, as we spend fighting with people on Facebook about politics, like the world would be an entirely different place where we wouldn't need to depend on the government saying this or that when it comes to anything. And so again, the legality side, 
I don't know what's going to happen with that. I think even if Roe is overturned, there's going to be such a huge wave to codify abortion within the next eight years. Like, it's, it's constantly going to be this ball going back and forth. But at the end of the day, if we know that the number one reason women choose abortion, and we both agree that women deserve better than abortion, and that's not, like, I don't believe any woman wants one. I really don't. Even if she just doesn't want to spend the $500 to have one. I think most of us are looking for alternatives. So if we can talk to our young people about prevention, if we can help empower women to understand their bodies, and then if we can bring that community element together at the end of the day, that's going to save so many more lives and make abortion unthinkable and unnecessary in so many more ways than anything fucking like Uncle Sam can do for us or against us. Yeah, I think it's really important to realize that, again, the, the balance of our fate doesn't lie on who is president, who is governor, who we elect into these positions. And that is actually a Christian biblical principle to say we're not relying on government and politicians to take care of us. We rely on divinity and love. So one thing I think is so sad is exactly what you're saying, this loss of community, that we have this fake community online, but it doesn't actually cultivate a support system. I lived alone in my apartment for like five years before I started a family. And there were definitely some nights where I was like, I just wish I could walk outside and, and say hi to somebody, or if I needed a friend, or if I was feeling sad that there was access easily to something that I needed in this in this compassionate heart kind of way. And I know we're seeking it online, but we really, after Corona, have to bring it into real life and, and hit the streets. And we have to realize we have so much more power outside of legislation. So I agree. I'm sick of arguing about candidates. I am very openly disgusted by Trump and so many things. And, and one of the things for me is if you're going to be a one-issue voter on abortion, this man is actually doing the opposite. He's having the opposite effect. So you're not actually, you know, if you want to tell me it's for the economy or because you just think he's subverting the norm, fine. But if it's because of abortion, he's actually not the right candidate. So what? <laughs> the, the Planned Parenthood had a great year last year. Like if he's the most pro-life president ever, then they shouldn't have had a great year. So I totally really? agree. Yeah. People don't see it. Um, I think also the last thing I want to ask you and also acknowledge as well is that I loved what you were saying about looking at the heart of the woman that's screaming, I love my abortion. That's an extreme thing to say. And I see, again, like a Ben Shapiro or like those angry conservative talking heads bringing up the most extreme thing, you know, like showing um, a late term abortion to identify abortion or showing a woman saying, I love my abortion to show abortion. I think we do ourselves such a disservice to pretend that it exists in these extremes. Like you can be horrified by a two week old abortion. Like you don't have to make it more horrifying than it is. And also I think we're just remiss to not help pro-choice women who did choose it and did want to make that choice to not give us the freedom to say, hey, this broke our hearts. Like this was devastating. I, I do wish I had had that child. I do wish life would be different. And again, like you said, getting to the root, like, so if you said no, what made you say no? It's not, I keep saying, I'm so mad at Ben Shapiro. I just hate how people use him as this like thing because it's so ineffective and, and, he just disregards people so hard. I can't stand it because it's just like, no one's going to be like, cause I just wanted to party more. Like I've never once heard that. I've heard, I have a very broken heart. My boyfriend wasn't there for me. I didn't have the money. I had to finish school. So all of that said, 
I just want to give women the freedom to mourn that loss if you've experienced that and not have to be a pro-choicer that's like, I loved it. You don't have to love it. No, that's so vital because I think what we have to realize ultimately what both sides are doing is they're gaslighting women, right? They're saying like, you can't feel a certain way. And there was a friend of mine who had um, a dear friend who had an abortion at 18. And then after that, she really struggled with it. But, you know, she was, she was pro-choice and she had this abortion and she fell into like drugs and alcohol and her life was just kind of going crazy for a couple of years. And she saw counselor after counselor and told them like, you know, this all kind of started, I had this abortion at 18 and every one of them said like, oh, well, it's not the abortion, right? because like wow. in their mind they can't acknowledge that that's what it is and so this woman was an atheist and she walked into some catholic church i guess and was talking to this priest she's like my life's out of control like it's the foxhole thing right like even as an agnostic i can acknowledge like when shit gets real suddenly you're like oh is there a cross somewhere like it's my last ditch ever i'll give it oh, so <laughs> she walks in and she starts telling him uh, and he goes well, you know when when did this start and she said well i was 18 and i had an abortion i know that wasn't it and he goes wait why, why do you say that wasn't it? Like, you know, that, that was your unborn child and him just validating her in a way that most of the world would have said that was cruel, right? Like he's just going to add hurt to that, but he got rid of that gaslighting and he validated her in that moment and said, yeah, this gets to hurt you. Like this gets to be an issue. And it completely transformed her life. Just somebody acknowledging that there is pain in that. And I think you're totally right. Like I love the name of your podcast, the God's in the gray, because I feel like abortions in the gray. Yeah. That is the number one thing where we've got so much in between that we are um, the nuance that we're ignoring, we're ignoring women's pain. We're not letting them heal. We're not giving it any oxygen. They do have to stick on some extreme, either you're a murderer or you loved your abortion. It was the best thing you ever did. Like, no, so many women are somewhere in the middle of that. And until we start healing them, we're, we're not going to find resolve. And this will always be an emotionally heated conversation when we're not looking towards solutions that can help future generations. Amen. Amen. I don't want to keep you on and let you go, but I think one last thing I do need to address is um, if you are assaulted or there's a case of incest, you say you want, you know, abortion to be just never even a consideration for people. What do you say for an extreme circumstance like that? I think so as a feminist, I think it's really important that we listen to the stories of these women, right? Like I've been sexually assaulted, but thankfully I did not conceive a child out of it. And so just in the same way, I wouldn't be like, well, black women in this nation are doing, you know, like you try to, you, we can address what they're doing, but ultimately we should be pointing people towards women who this is a lived experience for them and educate them, like pass the mic to them. And so there are um, great groups of women who have been sexually assaulted. This is the most horrific thing that's ever happened to them. Some have chosen abortion, some have chosen life afterwards. And I know for a lot of them, it's actually kind of frustrating that in, in the darkest place um, and the worst thing they've ever gone through, it's basically used as a gotcha argument by a lot of people who haven't experienced it themselves. So in these cases, I prefer to like pass the mic to those women. There's groups called Save the One, where a lot of the women will talk about this, that this was their saving grace. This was like the one beautiful thing that came out as something horrific. A bizarrely high number of women actually who become pregnant through sexual assault uh, do end up choosing life and we don't ever hear about them, right? We only hear that's the rapist baby. And in my mind, that's actually a really patriarchal term because it's that woman's baby. She has had so much of her power taken from her. And when we use terms like that, um, it's just incredibly offensive to women. But I think ultimately like, listen to these women, listen to what they're going through and, and what healing they did find. And even the ones who chose abortion, right? Like, um, I think that 
they're the ones who should be speaking on that, not necessarily people on the internet who are trying to win an internet fight by using the most horrific thing that ever happened to a woman, you know? Yeah, thank, thank you. That's very insightful because, again, I find it so minimizing. They always put out the 1% statistic. Like, only 1% are assault victims. The rest are convenience abortions. And you're like, it's, well, it's minimizing I, to both. It's also the work we're doing right now. We're actually working in Juarez on the other side of the border with migrant women. And um, all of them have been sexually assaulted. Quite a few of them have become pregnant through that. And so that 1% number kind of means nothing to me because I'm dealing with, like, the 100% number mm -hmm. down in Juarez at these shelters and the beautiful thing um the woman we work with who we we don't say her name or the thing because i mean this is like the capital for femicide it's incredibly dangerous the work she's doing but one of the most profound things she said to me was these women have become pregnant through sexual assault and she said but abortion just doesn't get brought up i ask them what they need from me and they tell me and i meet those needs and they don't like to them they don't necessarily focus on that part of it as much like and I think that's fascinating that when the real women who are experiencing this at the border are dealing with it, for so many of them, it's literally just a matter of like, help me and my child have resources. Like, that's what we need again. And she doesn't get into the minutia of whether you should or shouldn't and, and where to go to access it and things like that. It's love women well, and they will be able to love their unborn child well, you know, even in the midst of extreme trauma. I, I just think we we oftentimes try to put people in a box and, and find convenient arguments when it comes to stuff like that. And it's uh, the best thing we can do is humanize the people involved and actually talk to them and just find out what, what they need and meet those needs. <laughs> I don't know why that made me cry. Love women well and then they can love their children well. I just think that that is the key to everything. It really is because as much as we can input into them, they can output onto their unborn children and their born children and that's not the state of our nation so thank you so much for this work you're doing thank you for advocating for the need thank you for being nuanced in your politics and i love that we agree that it's not legality that's going to change this i believe that firmly so you don't have to compromise your whole morality when it comes to your vote because it's not about that unfortunately it's not about legalization it's about the resource um where can everybody find you how can they support the organization yeah so uh facebook instagram our website just new wave feminists plural because it is actually more than just me um and <laughs> we swear like sailors so be warned about that <laughs> i try to keep it polite in my real life i'm a little more sailory <laughs> so yeah thank you so much having me on okay so again i will link everything below this is the new wave feminist movement and i hope you go follow destiny and her movement online and really dive into this subject with so much love and compassion if you can i think this is a great example of two people who on paper are identifying as the quote opposite and here we are having so much common ground and i know that will be true of a lot of us if we just settle our souls a little bit, calm down and have these real conversations. So thank you if you've made it to the end. We love you all so much. God bless.